Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. A little bit later on, we are going to be talking with the panel about Harper Lee's estate suing Aaron Sorkin over his view of Atticus Finch. We'll get to that in just a little while. First up, though, let me introduce the panel. From Chateau Laurier, a new web series. It's an ambitious web series. It's a period piece which you never really see on web series. Uh, we have the uh, director and producer, James Stewart, and the co-writer, Emily Wheaton. They're here. Nice to see you. Hello. And we're going to tell you all about your phenomenally successful uh, web series. People are watching. It's true. Like oh. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of views. Millions. Big in South millions. East Asia. Is it millions? It's millions now. Wow. It's happened fast, though, because a week or so ago, when this was first put on my radar, yeah. wow, well, congratulations. We'll get to all that in a Thank second, you. though. And then I got a really intriguing email uh, a little <laughs> while ago uh, from uh, someone who I'd never met named Trista Souk. And, hello. And, hello. <laughs> and the email uh, said something like in the first line, I know you get a lot of emails, but before you hit delete... Please take the time to read the next paragraph. Okay, I'm glad it worked. I'm yeah, glad did, that line You works. know what? It did work. It did work. Uh, and Great. because I get about 400 emails a I know, day, probably. I know you do. Yeah, and and I get pitched everything. But I'm surprised it, no one's used that line before. Well, I mean, it's not that it, like. It, I must have just been in a particularly good mood uh, that <laughs> okay, day. Okay, okay. Uh, you're talking about uh, a movie called Foxy yes. that you uh, made. Now, people are going to have a rougher time seeing this because it played, you're a Ryerson student. Yes. And it had played at Ryerson uh, last week. It played at the Fox. At Peter. the Fox. Yeah. And we couldn't get you on <laughs> Fitting, uh, right? <laughs> in, in advance of that. Uh, but I wanted to uh, bring you on to talk about the subject of the film and yeah, what's going for on. Sure. And we're going to get to that oh, okay. uh, in just a little while. <laughs> First up, though, I want to talk about uh, a movie uh, that's in theaters right now. And I'm going to play you a clip uh, in just a second, but I'll, I'll set it up for you. The movie is called Indian Horse. It opened uh, this weekend, and it's based on uh, a famous book called Indian Horse, and it's a personal story that brings issues of cultural assimilation and displacement policies to the fore. Uh, it also is about hockey. And so it's uh, an indigenous film about a First Nations man who kind of finds his way out of a residential school by playing hockey, uh, only to discover that the world may not quite be ready for him. I spoke with one of the stars of the film, Ajuak Kapishisit, uh, just a little while ago, and I wanted to play this clip for you. He sort of sums up the, the uh, intent behind the film. Two main things that I'm hoping a lot of people can take away from it. First, for, for indigenous audiences, I think it would be really great if they can kind of look at this and see that... There, there's value in their stories, you know, the experiences that they have. There's something to that that can be shared and explored, and they should be willing and excited to look at that and to you know, see a movie with all of these indigenous actors, First Nations actors. Many of them were first timers. Hopefully, that will inspire some people to, you know, maybe go down that road that they thought they couldn't before. They thought there wasn't space for them there. Well, there is, and I think that's something that they can look out for, and, and hopefully they get that feeling from it. For, for non-Indigenous audiences, I think one of the things that I'd be really excited about is for them to see this film and, first of all, be educated, you know, to, to start understanding a part of this history, because it's out there, but not enough people know about it. And a lot of people in their day-to-day -day life aren't likely to read a lot of legal or historical information on it. Something like this, where it's, it's a film, it's it's a narrative, it's 
it's, it's something you can go to a movie theater and see. That's a different way to receive the information. And because it's so truthful and, and accurate to what was happening at the time, there's a lot of benefit to that. That's, that's a new way to get that information out there. So I think that's very important as well. But also beyond that, for, for them to see this story and, and realize that this is the story of what has happened to indigenous people in Canada and to better understand indigenous people and better understand where we are in society today and, and what has happened to a lot of our communities, to understand the context of, of, of that shift is, is really important to better understanding each other. That's Ajuak Kapishisit. He's one of the stars of Indian Horse. It's in theaters right now. Go have a look at this and check out uh, the reviews. You can find them on iHeartRadio.com, also on my website, www.richardkraus.ca. Uh, welcome, panel. Hello. Hello. Thank you. We'll move on to your things now. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, James Bond before we get into uh, <laughs> Chateau Laurier. And that, let's talk about James Bond. And then I'm going to start with Trista. Uh, do you care about James Bond? You uh, uh, you can't see us, but Trista <laughs> is is the, uh, the on the younger end of the panel here. Do you care about James Bond? Well. I mean, he's hot, but <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. That's about it. So, no, I mean, like, I enjoy the films for sure. I love the older ones more so than the new ones. See, that's kind of where I was going here. So <laughs> what this is, is that they're, they're, Danny Boyle's about to make a new James Bond film. That sounds really cool to me. The director of Train Spottering yeah, and, and, and Slumdog Millionaire and, and all that stuff. Cool. That's going to be, it's going to be a stylish, interesting thing. Uh, and. One of the elements of James Bond movies are Bond girls, yeah. and they've had names like Pussy Galore and that kind of thing. Well, apparently that's all going out the window now. Uh, in the in the sort of the the Me Too era, the, a more wow, perhaps politically correct era, um, those things are are being sort of wiped away. And what I want to know, and what I want to ask everybody here, is this overdue, or is it the erasing of a film tradition? Emily, why don't I? Start I, I think it's actually uh, a little bit of both. Um, it's overdue in that, I mean, when you have a pussy galore type character and they're called Bond girls, they're not, they haven't been called Bond women. And I think we skirted with that with, uh, with the actress who was in, it was before Spectre, you know, they had, she's over 40. That was like a big deal. Um, it, it, you know, there's definitely, it's time for us to have women who are showing up and speaking for themselves. But at the same time, it's a Bond film. Mm -hmm. It's not Bond and wife. It's not Mr. and Mrs. Smith, right? And the reason I watch Bond films, and I love Bond films, because they're glossy and they have big brass sections in the mm-hmm. sound and, mm-hmm. and sleek-looking suits and weapons. That's the stuff you watch for. You don't say, hmm, am I getting enough uh, gender equality in this boy's own adventure? You know, so... Yes, there's always room for female characters to have more depth, I think, and I'm excited to see what Boyle will do mm-hmm. with that. But frankly, Judy Dench, man, I know. she brought all the feminine, like, yeah, that that I think we're looking for, and she was fantastic. James? You know, I think they've always been kind of screwing with that format. You know, there was there was Roger Moore, there was all kinds of in my opinion, very odd, uh, even Bond lead character. So I think the series has evolved and they, they keep changing Bond. They, they could do Idris Elba as Bond. Yep. They could do a female Bond. They could do, um, I think they could do whatever they want. I mean, particularly the Bond girl issue is, you know, single people are allowed to have sex with whoever they want. So 
you know, is he still a ladies' man? You know, that, there are still people out there that are like that, and, and he can be that character. So, you know, I, th- I think that, that the Me Too movement doesn't really apply to, uh, you know, single people who want to have multiple consenting sexual encounters. Like, that's still okay if you're James Bond. I, I will tell you that I will not accept any disparagement about Roger Moore as James Bond. (laughs) I sense that that in your answer there. And I have this theory that whichever Bond it was that you saw on the big screen for the first time is kind of your James Bond. And the first James Bond that I saw in the theater was Live and Let Die with Roger Moore. And I remember him skipping across the heads of crocodiles to get across a a little river at one point. So Okay, so Pierce Brosnan. There's been some ups and downs. There have been some ups and downs. Um, Trista, what do you what do you think about this? Sorry, I'm so sorry. What's your name again? Emily. Emily, I feel like I never <laughs> formally met you. Um, I totally agree with what you were saying. Is Yes, this Me Too thing is happening, and it should be happening, and it's real. Um, and there should be like more depth for female characters. But it's a it is like a Bond movie, and I see that to watch like those really hot women like strut their stuff and like um because that in a way is like female power, I find, when you see like a woman like just in her beauty, like that is so much power in itself. And I want to see a Bond movie and I want to see like a gorgeous woman licking arms with James Bond. If I don't see that, like it's not a Bond movie. Yeah. It's not going to do well. <laughs> so yeah, there, there, I mean, there are things, I suppose, like he's got to have a cool car. He's got to, I, I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe that's just what it is. It'll be interesting to see what uh, Danny Boyle does with it. Yeah. So Harper Lee wrote uh, one book that virtually everyone on the planet has read, To Kill a Mockingbird. And uh, it's being turned into a Broadway show now by Aaron Sorkin. You would think, this sounds amazing. He wrote The West Wing. He wrote The Newsroom. He wrote the Steve Jobs movie. He's a, he's a playwright that if anyone out there is going to do this, it sounds like it's right in he's his wheelhouse. But uh, Harper Lee's estate isn't terribly happy because he's made some changes to the characters. I'm wondering if the estate is being just a little too precious with the source material um, or... Is it really true that a classic should just never be tampered with, James? I think that's a tough one because if they're contractually obligated to, you know, use the same characters, use the same storyline, they kind of have to do that. I do believe that classics evolve. We see that all the time with Shakespeare. Mm. You know, we have we have uh, women playing male leads in Shakespeare, vice versa, and <laughs> and uh, diversity, which is not something that traditionally was in Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. So I think you can. If you're a film director, you're allowed to do whatever you want with the source material at your own peril. You know, the fans of the source material might hate your movie. But I, I think you're allowed to change it um, and, and to make it your own. And uh, and if the estate doesn't like that, well, you know, I think you just have to do what contractually you agreed to. And if they don't want to let this director, you know, make their lead character a drag queen, then they shouldn't. Uh, option the film rights to that uh, production company or that studio. It's interesting. You know, I've seen two plays uh, recently. We're almost at a time here, but I, I saw uh, The Iceman Cometh on Broadway, which is very traditional uh, restaging of that play, and it was kind of brilliant. Four hours long, though, be warned. And then I saw uh, Lear with a, a female lead, and and both uh, were very interesting in the sense that the 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 female-led Lear was completely straight ahead, except that it happened to be a woman playing King Lear. Uh, and, and it made no difference to the show at all. It was still just as powerful and just as interesting. When we come back, we're going to talk all about Chateau Laurier. It's a web series that maybe you've already uh, seen, because millions of people around the world have. <laughs> Stay with us.
Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In studio from Chateau Laurier, we have James Stewart. He's the director and producer and co-writer Emily Whedon. Uh, Chateau Laurier is a web series. You can find it on Facebook. Google Chateau Laurier web series and uh, see Fiona Reed and everybody else, uh, Bruce Gray, uh, in this uh, really interesting period piece set in a hotel. So uh, I want to talk right now, though, to Trista Sook about... Foxy. Did I say your name wrong again? Sook. Sook. It's okay. It's a hard one. Sook. Like, people always mess it up. Um, here, I'm going to spell it phonetically in front of me. Sook. <laughs> uh, so you have uh, made a film. It's an hour-long film. You're a Ryerson student. Yeah. Right? Are yes. you stu- you're studying film and television? I'm studying media production. Yeah. Media production. Similar. So you have made a film uh, that intertwines documentary with some narrative. Yep. And it is the story about a young woman with alopecia. First, for anyone who doesn't understand what alopecia is, why don't you explain that? So alopecia is a health condition. It's an immune disorder um, where your immune system thinks that your hair is really bad. It's like the enemy. And because of that, it all falls out. (laughs) It doesn't like your hair. Um, And there's different kinds. You you can lose it like all over your body, like literally not one hair Mm -hmm. on your body. Or you can lose like just your um, hair on your head. Or just patches. There's, there's different. And and it is often brought on by stress. I understand. Or is it's that true? A factor, it's a but, factor, but um, there's actually no no like known cause of alopecia or yes. cure. Like it's just like this big mystery. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's like stress, genetics sometimes play into it. Like your diet, um, environment. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you've made a film uh, about uh, a 20 year old uh, named Penny. Yep. Uh, who's a filmmaker who's desperately trying to keep a secret in order to feel an, in quote, normal uh, in a world of unachievable beauty standards. So tell me about uh, creating Penny, who is a fictional character. It's you, right? It is. not. Yeah, it's not a fictional character. I mean, in the film, yeah, we, like, dramatized me. It is based on my life story, having alopecia. And, like, all I wrote the screenplay, like, on my own experiences of having it. So it, it is more narrative than documentary yes Yes. so think of like when harry met sally kind of style with like documentary footage like that comes yeah yeah, like comes with the story almost like complimenting it so that's kind of the style of it um but it's not mockumentary like these people are real that i met through alopecia support groups that i interviewed and got like some really awesome answers like real life stuff that i could put into the narrative It, it, it should be noted that you have hair now. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Okay. All right. It's All right. a wig, yeah. Is, is it a wig? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And They're it, looking pretty good it's nowadays, very huh? convincing. <laughs> it's a very convincing one. And when when did you develop alopecia? When did you realize that you had it? Or when were you diagnosed? I first started losing all of my hair when I was 10 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. It started with just a patch on the back of my head. And literally in two months... All of my hair fell out. Every like even my eyebrows and eyelashes fell out. They grew back. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, but yeah, it was it was hard. It was really hard being. Yeah, and what? How did the other kids at school treat you? So I went to like a very small like private school. So my parents like spoke to the teachers. The teacher made like a little presentation in front of the class about it, right. which was probably like the worst day of my life. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Um, and it was kind of kept under wraps. Like no one talked to me about it. I didn't talk to anyone about it because. I know I don't know like that wasn't definitely not like the right approach because because of that I kind of had this um you felt like, like it was idea. a secret or something. I thought, had this idea that I didn't even have it, you know, cuz no one talked to me about it cuz it was like they felt awkward talking to me about it. I felt awkward talking about it, but 
I kind of wish some people just like were just straight up being like, so you wear a wig, like tell me about it, you know? Well, and but, when did that change for you? When did it become okay to talk about it? Literally, was this like, film, this film, part, this yeah. film was part of the catharsis for you? <laughs> this film, like this year, this past year and a half is when I finally was like, yeah, it's crazy. It's been like 10 years of just silence, like <laughs> pretending that I don't have it. And then I went in front of my entire class at Ryerson and just pitched the idea of this film. And that's when I first like came out of the closet. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and what the reaction to the film? You screened it at the Fox Theater in Toronto. Yes. This show's heard across the country, so we should just Ooh, let people, okay. Yeah, yeah let's, uh, let's So we talk should about let it. people know the Fox <laughs> is a is a cool theater in the East End of Toronto. Uh, you you screened it there. What was the reaction of the audience? Wow, it was cra- it was so like ab- went above and beyond my expectations. Yeah. Like the reaction was incredible, and like. The audience is like my friends and family. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah do, my, mainly my friends and family. So, but everyone there knew that it was about you that you have yeah, alopecia. That yeah. yeah, so yeah. But in the film, spoiler alert, yeah. <laughs> um, I do take my wig off for the first right. time, like ever, showing anyone the first time, like except my family and like yeah, really yeah. Like, close friends. But that was terrifying to the audience. But I got like it was. Just, like, the best way it could have ever happened. Like, doing it in a feature film, standing ovation, like, (laughs) people were crying. Like, we made, like, me and my team made, like, so many grown men cry. Like, that's, (laughs) that's, like, an accomplishment in its own. Like, there's people just, like, with red eyes coming up to me, and I was... Oh, such a good night. <laughs> Just talking about it makes me so happy. Yeah, yeah. And and what happens now? I mean, will will you develop this further? Will you what what goes on now? Or have you I don't made know. Your, have you made your <laughs> statement about alopecia now? No, like I want this to continue. I want as many people to watch this as possible. And yeah. um so many people came up to me asking, like, when like I want to show this to my niece, I'm gonna show this to my wife, I need to show this to this needs to be shown, like enter this into festivals, like this will get big, blah, 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 blah. So just hearing this is really awesome. I don't know what I'm gonna do with it. We're kind of in like this weird like stage of limbo right now. Yeah, yeah. I guess festivals, you know, but if there's another way around it, like maybe uh plan like a bunch of screenings around Toronto, I realize it's not that hard to do, and I'm sure we could with enough like Word of mouth and marketing, they can get sold out. So, I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, you, who knows? Fingers yeah. across. So it, it, here in the in the the synopsis here, it says uh, that you had chosen not to tell a soul, including your current boyfriend. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds crazy. It sounds really crazy talking about it now. But yeah, I had a boyfriend at the time, like a few years ago. Right. Saw him for a year, and no, he didn't. He didn't know. I couldn't tell him. Like I just couldn't bring myself to open up about it because. I honestly thought he would stop talking to me. Well, yeah. And you, th- you say here for fear of being looked at as strange or, quote, ugly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That, that seems to have, you seem to have worked yourself through that. Yes. Yes, I have, for sure. I've definitely grown as a person in this area, for sure, through this film. But um, I, it's still, I couldn't just go outside right now and walk around bald, you know? I still couldn't do that. Yeah. But I know. It'll come. The day will come. The day will come. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the movie is called Foxy. Uh, I don't know how to tell you to, how to see it just yet, but keep your uh, eye I open know. for it at, at theaters yes. or at film festivals. Film festivals. If you come to Toronto, there'll definitely be some future screenings here, 100%. Yeah, and <laughs> online. You'll be able to find it online eventually somewhere. Uh, maybe, but it's maybe. called Foxy, and Trista Sook is the guest. Um, when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation. We'll talk a little bit more about Chateau Laurie. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. A little bit later on, we're going to be talking about Gene Simmons. Is he suitable? Because, you know, he doesn't drink. 
He's never been high in his life. He's never had a drink in his life. Is he the right guy uh, to be the front man for a Canadian cannabis company? We'll talk about that in just a little while. First, though, I want to introduce you to my guests. We have Trista Souk. She is the director of a movie called Foxy. And we're going to get to this on the next segment. I want to talk a little bit about uh, alopecia. And that is the, the, the subject of this film. It's about a, a young woman uh, who has alopecia. But you also had suffered with alopecia, yeah. right? So yes, we're going to yes. talk about this a little bit. Okay. We'll get into the, all that Great. in just a little while. Chateau Laurier is a new original web series uh, that debuted with 300,000 views and four or 40,000 followers in just its first week. Now, it's been out for a couple of weeks now. What are the numbers sitting at right now? So now it's at uh, it's just over 2 million, and there's about... Uh, 60,000 followers on Facebook, which is, which is significant. It's about half of what Murdoch has. Is that right? Yeah. And well, period some context. People love them some period pieces. They sure do here so, in Canada. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about uh, the creation of this, because when I think of web series, I don't think of something that's quite as elaborate uh, as this is. So uh, you both have more traditional backgrounds in traditional media. Uh, and, and why, let's start there. Why this project for a web series or as a web series? Okay, well, I grew up in Ottawa, so I always wanted to do a show about the Chateau Laurier. I always loved the, the building. I felt like there was a lot of history in, in the walls of that building, and a lot of characters had come through it over the last hundred years. And I got together with Kent Staines and Emily, who, uh, who wrote the screenplay, and um, we raised a little bit of money. We got some Bravo Fact money and uh, wanted to tell a really great story. So in this day and age, when you create stories, the platform really is changing fast, whether it's a movie, whether it's a TV show. It all ends up digital. It all ends up on the web. And when we were releasing it, I thought, you know what? We can probably get bigger bang for our buck doing as a web series, a three-part, really short, three minutes that people can watch on their phones. And we just just went for it. We kind of told everybody, we're launching, we're launching, we're launching. Here we go. It's launched. And it and everybody shared it. Cast and crew were amazing. I, I was bugging them, saying, everybody share, share, share. And put it on Facebook, which is highly shareable, especially mm-hmm. for an audience for a period piece like that. Highly shareable. My aunt and uncle, everybody just <laughs> shared, shared, shared. And it, and it went, you know, I, we wanted to have something really kind of newsworthy, like 20,000 views or 30,000 views. Yeah, we could yeah. say, hey, we got a hit on our hands. But uh, we got that, and it went 5, 10, 20, 100, and then it just took off. Mm-hmm. So it, it hit a million within about seven days, and then it's about, it's about 2.3 million now. And it's just uh, we found an audience. Emily, you're the writer of the, of the piece. Tell me what it's about. Tell everyone what it's about. Well, we, when James approached us, uh, Kent and I talked back and forth about a few different ways that we could approach it. There's a lot of history at the Chateau Laurier. Um, I mean, Rough Riders apparently tossed footballs around in the hallways. <laughs> the Beatles went through. Yeah. Uh, we talked about different time periods that we could have picked. And um, we were originally thinking about this being a backdoor pilot for a TV series. So we were like, well, maybe we can travel through time. Maybe we could have, we talked about the idea of a ghost who's there who would help us travel back and forth in time and be a device like that. But like the Lloyd time, the bartender from The Shining kind yes, of thing. Yes, yeah. good call, yeah. yes. Um, but ultimately, I mean, Downton Abbey was, you know, Kent and I were were hooked by Downton Abbey at the time. And, 
and the notion of of this period. Plus, I think with all things hipster, there's a callback to the early 1900s, you know, and the hair and the, the mustaches. drinks, the mustaches yeah. <laughs> and the penny wheelers that you see down Queen Street all the time. So <laughs> we knew that uh, we, we were romanced by that time period. And, and romance uh, was something that kind of, it was one of the first twinges that spiked things. And uh, I'm always interested in Shakespearean kind of turns of plot. And knowing that you had to produce something, because initially it was just a seven-page script, Mm -hmm. knowing that you have to get the expository, get characters moving, get them in, get a thing happening, get drama happening, and get them out, uh, knowing that there could be these characters who were in a new place, fish out of water, uh, and who get their wires crossed, and then kind of get their wires crossed again. So there's sort of two flips in this little short-minute piece. And what better than uh, young lovers as a way to explore the ups and downs of, you know, things flipping around. So, yeah. And you can find Chateau Laurier on Facebook. Yes. Chateau Laurier. Just Yeah. If you Google Chateau Laurier, the web series, you'll find it. It's on Facebook and uh, it'll be on YouTube and Vimeo shortly. And you've got quite a caster, Fiona Reed. Yes. And who, you know, if you're old like me, you will remember her from uh, The King of Kensington. But an unbelievable stage work yes. uh, for for the last 40 years uh, and so great. And Bruce Gray. Bruce Gray. I say that with a little bit of sadness in my voice. Yeah. He passed away recently. I think this was his last project, wasn't it? It yeah. was. Yeah. yeah. So Bruce Gray, I, I think uh, most people would probably uh, recommend or recognize him from uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, from Traders. From Traders, Things yeah. like that. Yeah. But uh, um, tell me about working with Bruce. It was really wonderful. Um, you know, we we had this this project came together quite quickly once we decided we were going to shoot it, and uh, we always had a great cast. We had Fiona Reed, we had Bruce Gray, Luke Humphrey from Shakespeare in Love at Stratford, um, Kate Ross, who's in Alias Grace. You know, total pros. Kent Staines, who's also in the in the film, and uh, we had a great script. We had some great writing and great characters and. Um, we just phoned around and got all our friends together who, you know, were great makeup artists, wonderful costumes, shot at the Royal York in one day. So it was really a passion project with yeah, yeah. very little money. And it was just, uh, you know, working with Bruce was so amazing. He, he flew up from L.A. He was so gracious. Um, it was just really, really Consummate wonderful. Consummate professional. Yeah. And everybody. Fiona eating. was amazing. We shot overnight, which is not the most convenient mm-hmm. thing for people. She was she was at Shaw in between rehearsals. Luke was in between rehearsals at Stratford. They literally came to set, did their bit, went back to work. And um, it was really nice to have Bruce. You know, it was, it was a lot of fun and... Uh, he was our first shot up of the day, actually. Yeah. Our first set up and first shot, and I still have a picture of him on my phone oh, as a capture of the uh, of the monitor, and uh, and I personally, I mean, it's the first uh, produced screen piece yeah. that I've done, and to have Bruce Gray be the first actor in the to first say, shot of the first <laughs> thing, I was like, pinch me, what is happening? And then the tail end of the night was me feeding him a filet of fish because we went to second meal, and I was like. I kind of wish that could have been filet mignon or yeah, something, yeah, yeah. but still, it was, it was, he's a treat to work with. He's just a complete gentleman with a completely saucy sense of humor yeah. as well. So he's just, he's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Chateau Laurier, uh, we're speaking with the creators of Chateau Laurier, uh, James Stewart and Emily Wheaton. You can find it on Facebook, Google Chateau Laurier. Uh, web series. I mean, you shot at the Royal York. It begs the question, why isn't it called Royal York? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I grew up in Ottawa and I always yeah. wanted to do this show about the Chateau Laurier. 
Uh, we wanted to do it in uh, Ottawa. I, I just, I really tried, but in the end, my team just got together and said, you know, we got to do it in we Toronto. Do it yeah. We're going to beg, borrow, and steal everything. It's so much easier to do it here. Mm-hmm. And the people at the Royal York are amazing. They do film shoots there all yep. the time. They get it. They were like, well, when do you want to do it? Just, just do it. It's very expensive, but they gave us a good deal, and um, it was the right decision. There is something about hotels. I mean, I, and <laughs> I love an old hotel. Uh, every year I go to uh, a film festival in Victoria, B.C., and I stay at the Empress. And as you're walking up that big sort of ramp that leads you up to the to the elevators, uh, there's pictures of, like, John Wayne coming in, the Queen and things. And there's just something about being in this place where a lot of things have happened. People have passed by. People for sure have killed themselves there or gotten married there or done whatever. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Every, it's just, it, it, it really, it, why there, I mean, there are movies, Grand Hotel. There's a television show called Hotel. Why there isn't more? Just well, set a, in a the hotel day-to-day. is like in film, you deal with entries to special worlds. That's, right. That's a huge aspect of almost any story, any hero story. And and you get to feel like a hero entering a special world every time you walk into a hotel. And the more old world, the better. And there's a certain anonymity to it as well. Absolutely. But, but you're right. The, the CN yeah. hotels, the old CN mm-hmm. hotels, they all, Marilyn Monroe has stayed yep. there and there's ghosts. Uh, the Banff Springs still to this day has ghosts and has rooms where they've blocked off the door because it's the room's haunted. Mm-hmm. And they all have these incredible stories. And to this day, even while we're shooting in the lobby of the Royal York, um, there's people coming in. There's a couple going out to get married. They come back in, they're married. Yeah. People go out sober, they come back drunk. <laughs> <laughs> they come back with someone different. Um, there was a... David Gilmore concert that night so people were coming in in waves from there there's a lot of personality if you can just sit in the lobby I love that when we come back we're going to talk to Trista Sook we're going to talk uh, we're going to talk (laughs) about her movie Uh, it's called Foxy and we're going to talk about alopecia stay with us Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. Uh, in studio, we have a interesting panel, <laughs> uh, an, an interesting panel uh, assembled uh, from Chateau Laurier, the web series. You can find it on Facebook. You can Google it, Chateau Laurier web series. It will come up. We have director and producer James Stewart and co-writer Emily Whedon. Trista Sook is here from... Uh, Sook. Sook. Come on. I know. It's You know, there is a way that I will bugger up someone's name if it's at all possible. It's okay. Yeah. And and uh, but we talk about alopecia. We're talking about your film uh, Foxy. Uh, there's no way to see it right now, but keep your <laughs> eye open at maybe the Toronto International Check out our trailer. Film go on, the yeah, trailer. go on to our Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, Foxy. So check that and, and 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 have a look at it. It's really interesting stuff, and uh, your story is fascinating. And Thank and you I so think much. Uh, more people need to uh, more people need to hear about this. Um, my show, Pop Life, Saturday nights, uh, 8.30 on the CTV News Channel, midnight on CTV, uh, we, and on E! and Gusto and Bravo and all sorts of other places. We, uh, this week, have a really special show. Randy Bachman stopped by the Pop Life Bar oh. uh, to talk about uh, his career, to talk about idols and influences. And then later, on the panel, he was joined by um, a, a couple of very interesting uh, musicians. Chloe Charles is here. She is a beautiful singer of this kind of orchestral pop music. And Biff Naked stopped by. Wow. Biff Naked, you know, could be the co-host on that show. I'd be happy if she showed up every single week. I love her. Uh, Randy Bachman, though, so much fun. The guy has known everyone, been everywhere, done all that. But I took him back to the beginning of his career and said to him, you know, did your parents, were they happy about this, your career path? This is what he had to say. 
your parents were okay with the, the life path? Because it's a tough one. Well, my dad kept saying, you know, you have plan B. My right. plan B is stick to plan A. <laughs> like, this is what you do. Right. Don't take no for an answer and don't say no to anything. And if you get real lucky doing what you want to do, sometimes a ka-ching happens and you get $100 or $1,000 or a million. It's playing the lottery. It's all about persistence. That's what uh, his general message was. He told some epic stories, most of which we didn't have time to put on the show. So keep your eye out <laughs> online because the story of him writing the song Taking Care of Business is so epic that it could be its own television show uh, just on its own. It's an wow. unbelievable story. So I'm going to check it out. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, it's good stuff. CTV, Midnight News Channel. Uh, at 8.30 on Saturdays. Uh, Gene Simmons has been hired by a cannabis company as a CEO. I find this interesting because just last year he called for an end to the entertainment world's, quote, stupid fascination with drug addiction. Uh, He seems like an unlikely choice to me to uh, front a cannabis company. He also said, I've never done drugs or alcohol, so my soul is intact. Why would you bring a guy like this on board to run a cannabis company? Uh, What do you think? (laughs) Probably because... Um, because he's super famous? He's not... A, yeah. probably. <laughs> B, probably because he's not going to like smoke all the weed and he'll just like, <laughs> he'll just, like focus on like the prize, like the money. <laughs> the stash is safe. Yeah. Oh my God. That's awesome. You know what? I'm glad you brought that point of view uh, to the show. James, any, is there anything to add to that? You know, Gene Simmons is quite a character. You know, he's, he's kind of like the Donald Trump of rock and roll. He'll put yeah. his name on anything if you pay him. Uh, I'm shocked to hear that he he doesn't drink or do drugs. Yeah. I, that's never that, a once. He doesn't have a drug yeah. problem. I, I'm, he has a bit of a groupie problem, but uh, you know, <laughs> I, I just have our, we find all have that reflections. amazing. So, Emily, it sounds like he's just uh, he's picked kind of to be like the Trump of the rock and roll world, to be a lightning bolt for contro- controversy. Yes. you know, and and that he's going to keep. Invictus uh, top of mind because it's like, what's that crazy guy doing now? Uh, I don't know what the marketing plan for other uh, various cannabis companies are, um, but I know they don't have him. And I don't know who they are, so it's working. And it's working already. Uh, Let's move on. So (laughs) uh, a UK teacher (laughs) has won uh, a global best teacher prize. And essentially what it is, is that she teaches art and textiles, and she has spoken of the hardships and overcrowding uh, housing conditions that face many of her pupils. She is an advocate for arts uh, uh, education in uh, schools and for uh, teaching a, a diverse ray, array of, of kids um, about the importance of music and art and that kind of thing. Um, I think that you know arts education is so often the first to be cut in budget crunches um, Trista, you know, you're, stu- you're in the arts, you mm-hmm. are making films. Why is uh, art so important for students, do you think? Um, like all students or just art students? I think all students. I mean, I think even if you're, if you're not ever going to go on to make films, I think studying art and that sort of thing opens your mind to thinking sure. uh, in, a, in a different way. For sure. I mean, art is so broad. It like, is. Um, every, I think so many things classify as art, but... Yeah, having that um, creative side of learning is so key. I mean, you can't just focus on like the critical side of things. But, but <laughs> You'll you go can, crazy. But you can apply. But you can apply 
the things that you learn in studying art and literature and all that kind of stuff to, to anything. Life. Yeah, yeah, to life. Real life. Right? For a lot yeah. of people, the first time they put on a school play, it's the first time they experience anything like project management. Right. But in a lot of ways as well, like learning how to mix colors or color subtraction, that's science. Mm-hmm. That's a different part of the UV spectrum, basically. And it's, I mean, I think the biggest thing that struck me about it is life is hard. Life is full of death and and bad things. And art is our chance to have joy in our lives. And especially if it's for children who, you know, they're going to be at work in a few years and they're going to experience all kinds of privations and they maybe are experiencing those privations now. A little bit of joy in life is necessary. It's also a way to express, I feel like, oneself as well through Well, I think your story is probably a great example of of, uh, that's kind of where I was hoping this would go. I I think that through uh, the study of of art and watching films and creating things, you learn to express yourself. And and you were having difficulty because of, of your alopecia, thinking that you were not mainstream looking perhaps or whatever mm-hmm. it was that you were mm-hmm. that you were feeling and you're, you use the word ugly in the letter yeah, that you sent yeah. over to me um, uh, that that has changed now because you were sort of liberated through, through learning art. about art. For sure. I didn't want to just tell people here and there oh like by the way yeah. I have alopecia you know I wanted to yeah. do it through something beautiful like which in which is took the medium of a film you know yeah. and yeah that's yeah you're right that's how I expressed myself. Wow. I think it's so important to teach <laughs> kids creativity because because I think the, these programs get cut because you know there's no jobs in yeah. art so let's yeah. keep the kids in in math and English and things like that but but teaching kids creativity really opens so many doors especially in this day and age with maker culture and you know, whether kids are into robotics or making apps or programming or you know doing anything that's creative the truth is there's a ton of jobs and a big future if you are creative. And, and you can apply that creativity to, to wherever you end up. Think different. That was uh, right. Apple, the Apple ads from uh, a little while ago. It was all about technology, but it was about thinking differently and, yeah. and expanding your horizons that way. Uh, speaking of art, Yoko Ono uh, has uh, an exhibit at the uh, Gardner Museum here in Toronto. And uh, it's an interactive piece that has a number of rocks spread out on the floor, and they have various things written on them. One that said, love yourself. Uh, a woman Thank walked you, Rock. In- yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that hint of how to treat myself with love and affection. Uh, she walked in. She interacted with the exhibit, yeah. put the rock in her bag, and walked out. She now, sure interacted. She, now, as we, as we, a souvenir. Yeah, as a souvenir. Now, as we're sitting here right now, I don't know if she's been caught or not. This is being, in you know, in, in an effort to be transparent, it's being taped a couple of days uh, before it actually airs. So um, <laughs> it may or she may or may not have been caught. But it turns out that the rock is worth $17,500. It's a rock with the words, love yourself on it. And the police are very interested in in finding this woman. So, um, I don't know. Listen, I, I, I admire Yoko Ono's determination to get conceptual art out there in the world. It is all that she's ever done. It is, it is her focus. Uh, but is $17,500 too much with a rock for a rock with some words on it? Like, how do we value art? I think that if someone is willing to pay seventeen fifty for it, then then it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. If if you have if you don't have seventeen thousand dollars, a rock is not worth seventeen thousand yeah. dollars. But if you have billions of dollars, and you think, well, that rock will be worth thirty thousand yeah. next year, so so art is worth 
whatever you project onto it. I mean, it's a, it's the same piece of uh, canvas with paint. It's it's worth you know fifty cents, but if if it's done by Picasso, so it's like autographs. I mean, people project onto it a value. Yeah. And uh, collectibles, and some things have huge value, some things don't. And it's like our real estate, you know, like the house you bought in Toronto for $200,000 is the same bricks and mortar mm -hmm. as the house that's now worth $1.5 million. Just people want to spend more money on it. So, yeah, know, but your house didn't for... break up the Beatles, did it? No, no exactly. <laughs> no, yes. It came close. So, yeah, well, York I, did, I think. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, or the Queen Elizabeth in Montreal. The, um, I think, uh, I think. People can pay whatever they want for art and, and get whatever enjoyment they want. And, and good for the artist. If, you, if you're an artist and you can get to a point where your paintings are worth 5000 10000 mm -hmm. a million while you're still alive, while you're all alive. the more power to you. Yeah. yeah, I happen to be a huge fan of pop art. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, the thing that I like about pop art is that it takes everyday things that we are familiar with and then sort of gives a little spin to them and turns them, in, yeah, recontextualizes them into uh, a piece that you can hang on your wall. And, you know, yeah. my, yeah. my home is filled with pop art uh, because it's something that really speaks to me because I think that popular culture uh, is is everything. Popular culture, my show is called Pop Life. I mean, I'm, I'm very involved in popular culture because it is everything that is around us. And the more we interact with it uh, in a day-to-day -day way, maybe the more we will actually understand what art is all about and how it affects us. Uh, having said that, that's all the time we have for oh my the God, show. Right. Yeah, that's it. There We're done. Go. Chateau Laurier, the web series. Google it. Find it on Facebook. <laughs> Thanks to James Stewart and uh, co-writer Emily Whedon. I have to tell you, when you called me earlier and the name James Stewart came up on my phone, I was kind of excited. Oh, like Jimmy Stewart. There we go. <laughs> my star on the Walk of Fame. That's right. I wrote a letter to James Stewart because years ago, because I heard that he returned all the letters uh, that you wrote to him. His address was uh, Post Office Box 99, Beverly Hills, California, and he wrote me back a letter. Oh my nice. Uh, and Trusty Sook is here. Foxy. Sook. <laughs> Oh, find man. It. This is going to be a problem. It Richard. is going to be a problem. We're going to have to change your name. Uh, find uh, find uh, the film Foxy uh, at film festivals coming up soon. We'll cross our fingers yes, for cross you. Our fingers. Can't wait to Let's hear more so. about this story. And bring back The Rock. Uh, yes, and bring back The Rock. Whoever stole The Rock, bring Hashtag back The Rock. Back She's on video, I'm sure. Bring back The Rock. Uh, thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks Bye. to Andre on the board.